And I had your attention. You're all dismissed. Bankrupt. Better luck with your next job. I am not a stranger to the dark. This is not the life I promised you. Not even close. Because we don't want your broken parts. Girls, I think I've had an idea. Look out, because here I come. T. Barnum, at your service. I'm putting together a show. And I need a star. Every one of us is special. And nobody is like any one of us. That's the point of my show. Ready? Showtime. by being like everyone else. Well, welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. If you have your Bibles, you turn me to John chapter 4. I'm going to get there in just a minute. We're going to do some more with the, with the movie. But I don't know if you've seen this movie. You may have seen some of the movies that we're going to do in this series. You may not have. Uh, I remember going to this movie with Tammy's family. So it was Christmas. We always go watch a movie on Christmas. That's one of the things we always do. And so somebody said, let's watch this. And I was like, okay. But, and I'm thinking, do you know this is a musical? Now, my father-in-law is an engineer. And not that that's a bad thing, but, I mean, he just is not, like, known for his sense of humor, I guess. He's just, he's just and not a musical kind of a guy. And... And, and I'm just getting it, so we're all going, and like, I was like, great, man, it's Hugh Jackman, it'll be good, it's got these people in it, it's going to be good, and I've heard good reviews, and so we're all in there, and the look on everybody's face when they realized, all the men were like, this is a singing musical all the way through this deal, and I'm like, yes, like, so nobody's getting killed, no, nobody's blowing up, no. No, there's no fast car chases. It's set in the early 1800s. So sorry, this is what it's going to be. And, uh, and so anyhow, but the story, if you haven't seen it, is pretty phenomenal. Matter of fact, there's just been a biography that was released about P.T. Barnum's life. So he's a fascinating individual, incredibly gifted, incredibly imaginative, incredibly kind of out-of-the-box thinker, and basically um, did multiple things throughout the course of his life. But what he's most known for is how he leveraged his creativity and his imagination uh, and to promote and to publicize uh, things that eventually kind of grew into what we would know as a Barnum and Bailey circus. And he, he has this way of doing this. And it wasn't that it was easy. It wasn't that everybody liked it. It wasn't that it, but he saw 
uh, what others didn't see. He saw more than they saw. He saw it before they saw it. And he saw it in a way that brought it together. And, um, and what makes him unique and kind of one of the, 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 the storylines in this, in this movie is that he had an eye to be able to see other people that everybody else rejected and overlooked. He saw genuinely in them uh, what everybody else saw as an oddity or a, um, a liability, an issue. He saw it as something that, quite frankly, would uh, turn the less than greater situations in people's lives into what he would go on to say is the greatest show on earth. And so his approach was not traditional. His, his approach was very somewhat provocative and edgy, especially for that day and age. But it was one of those that kind of turned uh, society and the people that he had ran with uh, in his social circles kind of upside down. So I want to talk about that because I see a lot of parallels of what he did and even what this, music, this, this movie shows to someone else and to a story and a narrative that John's gospel records. But, but before we get into that, I want to take a quick look at just kind of a clip that I think kind of illustrates who Barnum was and his eye for looking and seeing others in a way that no one else saw them and drawing out the greatness not to turn them into someone else, but for seeing them exactly who they are. So check this out. You must be Gertrude Stratton. I'm looking for your son. I don't have a son. The hospital record says you do. Charles, right? Age 22? Charles! Charles! T. Barnum, at your service. I am putting together a show, and I need a star. You want people to laugh at me? Well, they're laughing anyway, kid, so might as well get paid. I see a soldier. No, a general. Riding across the stage with a sword and a gun and... And the most beautiful uniform ever made. People will come from all over the world, and when they see him, they won't laugh. They'll salute. How's it looking, girls? Hey, you looking for freaks? I know where you can find one of them. Really? Come on, girls. Hello. Sir, you shouldn't be here. I'm sorry. I, who's doing that singing? 
It's you, isn't it? Sir, I have to ask you to leave. You are so talented, blessed. Extraordinary. Unique. I would even say beautiful. <laughs> Sir, please leave me alone. They don't understand, but they will. W.D. Wheeler, brother and sister. Yes, sir. Yes. Terrific. And what do you do? Uh, trapeze. Trapeze. Okay. You know, people aren't going to like it if you put us on the stage. Oh, I'm counting on it. This is so over your entire body. Terrific. I don't need to see it. you are. Do you have a number for that? I prefer not to say, Just but... Just between you and me. 500 pounds. 750 pounds? 750 pounds What is your name? Uh, Vasily Palavro, sir. Yeah, we're gonna change that name. Uh, I think you're Irish. We have a so Barnum takes this, these individuals that again were relatively, well, they were socially outcast and marginalized, and he steps right into their world and takes the very thing that everybody else rejected them on and uses it to showcase, and in essence, turns them into stars. I'm not likening Jesus into P.T. Barnum, but if you look at the life of Christ, he does that over and over and over again. He takes people, the Bible would say he would take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and he uses them, even in their weaknesses, even in their issues, even in their problems. And when he puts his super onto their natural, it changes not only their life, but everyone around them and how they see them. You see, Jesus did this, we first see with the disciples. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single one of these disciples, these were not men who were highly educated. These were not men necessarily who were, who were accepted in some circles. They, they were kind of a motley crew of individuals, to be really honest with you, but yet, he used these men and he changed the world. We're still talking about them today. Some of them, quite frankly, we don't know if they were literate or had the ability to read or write. Some of them we knew were highly educated. Some of them were completely on the margins of society and some of them had been rejected by the the typical kind of, of, of uh, status quo of the world. But yet Jesus takes them and uses them and does something magnificent. P.T. Barnum and Jesus both were 
as you, re, as you hear the story or you watch the movie and then you read the life of Christ, they were acquainted with grief and with loss and rejection. And Jesus was drawn to the least and the lost and the broken. And he had this creative eye to never let anybody leave the same. John's Gospel, chapter 4, I just want to look at one encounter that he has with this woman. We don't even know her name. She's known as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I just kind of want to walk through chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. And I want to look at what Jesus does, much like what we just saw that Barnum did as he extends an invitation to this woman who's been rejected and chastised by society, and he changes her life. Firstly, we see that the, this invitation of Christ, this, this, this how he approaches, much like how Barnum did, it's always unexpected. It always comes unexpected. Again, when Jesus encounters, especially the woman uh, at the well, it's completely unexpected. John chapter 4, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 8, and his disciples had gone into the town to buy food, which means he was by himself. And the Samaritan woman, verse 9, said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You have to understand the context this is happening in that this, is, this well would have been the epicenter, would have been the local watering hole. It's kind of like the local coffee shop where everybody kind of goes to get their, their coffee. If you watch Friends at all, it's, when it's Central Perk. I mean, it's the Starbucks. It's, the, it's, the, it's where everybody kind of goes to get there. And, and it's this gathering place. Most of the women would go together and they would kind of meet and they would kind of talk and just just kind of converse and connect on life just like women do. And they would all kind of come together. And typically they would go in the early morning or in the late afternoon because the weather was cooler and things were much easier, but not in the middle of the day when it was hot. In the middle of the day, no one went to the well except for the Samaritan woman. And Jesus goes to meet her at the middle of the day. He He's not trying to, to, to chastise her. He's not trying to embarrass her. He's not trying to, actually, she's trying to get away from all that. She's trying to get away from the shame of her life and, and all of this. And, and probably would have been, deductive reasoning would let us know that she probably was the, probably the object of a lot of village gossip. And it also lets us know that she's a Samaritan, which meant that she was not accepted by Jews or by Gentiles. She was of mixed race. She would have had Jewish blood and Gentile blood flowing through her. And therefore, the Gentiles wanted nothing to do with her because, well, quite frankly, they didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans because the Jews so looked down upon the Gentiles. And the Jews didn't want anything to do with her because, quite frankly, the Jews viewed any type of interaction in this day and time with Gentiles as being um, just kind of beneath them. Jewish men would pray daily, God, thank you that I'm not a dog or a Gentile. That's how they viewed Gentiles. So there's a woman who just by her own coming into the world is completely ostracized, completely rejected. 
And then because of life choices and things that are happening that we'll kind of uncover as we go along, she's the, the, the town, uh, the, 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 probably the center of the, of the gossip. And, and so Jews would typically walk around Samaria. Samaria is where most of the Samaritans lived. And, and, and Jesus decides to walk through it. Culturally, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, and, and it's noon, so this is not a typical time, and, 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 and it's the hottest part of the day, and, and quite frankly, rarely were men at the well. That was something that the women went and did. But we see that Jesus breaks all these societal norms. He's fully aware of his actions. He sends the disciples because they would not have understood what was, going, what was about to happen. He's not trying to do anything in secrecy. Rather, he's trying, to, trying to, well, he's trying to reach this woman. He's trying to reach her right where she was. And so the middle of the day, no one's there. She's rejected by everyone around. And Jesus goes. And kind of like Barnum... Jesus had a plan that nothing could stop him. See, you and I are his plan. There's no circumstance, there's no situation that will stop him from inviting us to what I would call the greatest show on earth, which is a relationship with him. Because here's what happens. Many times we think, like what you just saw in the clip, that we're, we don't fit. We, we're, <laughs> we're kind of rejects and, 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 and we're, we're nobodies and we're not good enough here. Or Aaron, if you really just knew my life, if you really just knew my story, if you really just knew me. But the truth of the matter is, is that that's exactly who Jesus was drawn to. And this day is exactly who he's drawn to. And even today, 2,000 years later, regardless who you are, where you are, where you come from. He's coming to you, even though you're at the well when no one else is there. Even though you've done everything you can to try to avoid this conversation. Even right now, you sense it as we're talking. And uh, maybe I can just get some popcorn and maybe we can just go back to the clip a little bit. Let's talk about your family, kind of how funny it was that nobody really thought there was going to be any like blow up, shoot up. Uh, scenes in the movie. It's not exactly a Tarantino flick. And so it's just one of those, like, can't we just kind of go to? The second thing we always see is that this imitation of Christ, it always requires faith. It always requires faith. Look at verse number 10 to verse 14. Jesus answers her and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with at the well, and the well is deep. And where can you get this living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of the water at the well, will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Jesus uses this woman's uh, physical need for water as an object lesson for spiritual transformation. He, he, he speaks to her and basically is, she's not able to see beyond her circumstance in this physical realm, but, but Jesus masterfully reaches this woman at the well, 
And he does this with everyone. It's not just her. If you look at Nicodemus, he talks to him about being born again. Or John's gospel chapter nine, the blind man, Jesus identifies himself as a light of the world. He takes the blindness and the darkness of this man and that makes him an outcast. And Jesus says, but I've come to bring light. And Lazarus who encounters, Lazarus sisters, Mary and Martha who encounter Jesus, they're, they're crying and saying, Jesus, if you would have been there, but he looks at them and says, but I am the resurrection and I am the life. John's gospel tells us to the fisher who were there fishing. He issues an invitation, no longer just to fish for men or to fish for commerce, excuse me, just to fish for yourself or to fish for commerce, but to change your life and to follow him. Every single time in scripture, we see this over and over and over and over. Jesus sees people that don't believe in themselves, that feel like that they've listened to what the world has said about them and they've allowed their own mistakes and their own sin and their own choices to trap them and to marginalize them and to shrink them like a pair of 501 Levi button fly blue jeans and just shrink them down to where everybody views them. But he comes in and goes, no, 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 no. I see a different way. I see a different person. I see a different situation. I see life. I see hope. Just like Barnum does. He, 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 he sought people who were different outwardly. And he chose those individuals instinctively and distinctively. And he encouraged them. And he spent time with them. Not just to believe in themselves, but to believe in the people that were around them. To be the greatest show on earth. You see, the last thing that we see is that this invitation from Christ, it always satisfies. It always satisfies. Look at verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. And the woman said to him, sir, then give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and keep coming here to drop water. And he told her, go and call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. He's about to read her mail in verse 18. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Wow. I mean, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. The, the, the woman hears of this living water and immediately she wants it. And she's thinking in terms of a literal water. But Jesus lets her know, no, this that I'm going to give you is more than just something that's going to take care of today, but it's going to take care of the rest of your life. But let's go to the heart of the issue. And in verse 16, he completely changes the conversation. And he talks about the number one reason that she's the social outcast. It's more than just that she's a Samaritan. It's more than just who, where she was born. We don't know her name. We don't know her life story. We don't know. But what we do know is that she has this transformative moment because Jesus calls her in her sin. I want you to catch this. He doesn't do this to embarrass her. No one's around. If the disciples would have been around, it would have been a public conversation. If it would have been a time of day when there have been other people drawing water, it would have been a public conversation. And it would have added more fodder to the gossip that was going around. But Jesus has this candid, no holds barred, no punches pulled conversation about her sin. 
Her sin is, is that she's living in adultery, which is she's in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. Her sin is, is that she's not just had one spouse, but she's had multiple spouses. And again, not being mean, not trying to overreach, but to stop, probably John's got a problem with Sally, John's got a problem with Susan, John's got a problem with Sarah, John's got a problem. Four broken marriages. And she's probably given up on marriage at this point. That's why she's living with man number five. We don't know. But knowing human behavior. And she's just given up. And Jesus looks at her and says, but you're the candidate for living water. You're, you're the candidate for eternal life. You don't even realize who's standing in front of you. You're here by special invitation. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't try, to, try to, to take her sin and, and embarrass her or shame her. And I want you to catch this. Shame has no ability to redeem you. Shame has no transformative, restorative power in it at all. You can be shameful. You can grovel in your sin. You can grovel in past mistakes. You can grieve and grieve, but guilt and shame have no ability to do anything in your life but condemn you and hold you where you are. But truth can set you free. And the acceptance of that truth offered in grace, which is what Jesus did, Jesus did, he was truth and grace, is completely restorative, is completely, uh, uh, completely transformative, completely redemptive. And he uses his knowledge of these things, not to expose her, not to shame her, not to drive her away, but to deliver her from the bondage of sin so that she could have a fresh start in a new place. And, and, and he, he does this with such kindness. He, he doesn't condemn her, but he doesn't let her off the hook. See, sometimes I think what, when we think about this, we kind of go, well, we just, we just don't condemn anybody. And so, no, we don't. John three seventeen for God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So condemnation is a perversion of conviction. But conviction, which is when truth, I encounter truth and realize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. When I've been married in four broken marriages and I'm living with person number five, when my shame and my guilt, when my sin, when my addictions, when my failures have, draw, have driven me to where I don't want to be around anyone, I don't want to see anyone, just like the bearded lady that encountered Barnum, please go away. The last thing I want to do is be hurt. I just want to be left alone. I'm back here. I'm hiding here because I don't want anybody to see me. I don't even want to see this. You don't understand. I've been broken. I've been hurt. I've been marginalized. And Jesus steps right in the middle of that and goes, I know. I know more about you than anybody in this town. But I'm telling you that if you had any idea who was standing in front of you and the water that he was about to give you, it will change your life. 
And here's what I know today. We're people. First century, 10th century, 21st century, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, doesn't matter where you live in eschaton of time, people are people. You and I, we're all jacked up. And if you don't think you are, then you're really more messed up than the rest of us. Amen. But when you encounter Jesus, he doesn't look and you go, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. No, no, just keep saying your sin. No, because he knows your sin will condemn you. Your sin will shame you. Your sin will guilt you. It's not how you were wired to live. He, if he's truly the son of God, is the creator, and he's speaking to you and I as the creation and saying, this is the way to life. This is the way to freedom. This is how to experience love because we all want to love and be loved. Everybody wants, if you really knew me, if you really knew me, you would accept me. Well, Aaron, you don't feel that way. Oh, you have no idea. If you really knew me, Life Church, would you really accept me? I'm just like you. I'm, I'm, look, I, I mean, I don't get some special pass. I don't get some like, oh, well, his sin is probably, you know, he had one too many bites of a piece of pie. No, I wish. You don't get that class in seminary. No, I'm just like you, man. I'm broken and flawed and failed and jacked up, insecure. I have the same needs. We all do. It's called being human. Just like those misfits that Barnum encountered. And then Jesus steps into the middle of that, calls us on our junk, our sin, not to condemn us or to guilt us or to shame us, but to set us free. And so today, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Just like Barnum, Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts. And he's speaking, he's inviting, he's coming to your heart, to your home, to your life and saying, I have so much more. Not because we deserve it, not because we're righteous, but Jesus is saying, I want you to come just as you are. And he gives us the ability to leave our sin and go and sin no more. You don't have to be cleaned up to come to Jesus. You don't have to have your stuff figured out to come to Jesus. No, you come to him in the middle of your brokenness and your hurt right where you are. Think about that for just a minute.